Welcome to the SMC 2021 podcast. What if God wanted to do something new in your life? This is your fresh start. Welcome and thanks for listening. My name is Danny Points and I work for Stumo at Texas A&M University. And today we're looking at decision making and the will of God. How in the world do you make good decisions even when the answer isn't clear? Have you ever made a really bad decision? You know, one that you really regret? I've made a lot in my life, but probably one of the most memorable, really bad decisions was in college when my wife, Haley, girlfriend at the time, gave me a gift for my birthday. We went to dinner with a group of friends, and at the end of dinner, she told me that we needed to go outside so she could give me this gift. And I'm thinking, it has to be the sweetest gift ever if she can't even bring it inside the restaurant. So she walks me outside, has me close my eyes, and tells me to hold out my hands. Plural. As in, this gift is so big and awesome, you're going to need both of your hands. And so with closed eyes and a huge smile on my face, I stick out my hands and Haley places a cold metal object into them. When I opened my eyes, I was holding a black Mossberg 12-gauge pump-action shotgun. Every guy in here is, is thinking, best girlfriend ever, right? But for me, I had never shot a gun in my life. So I was thinking, this is kind of random. And in the midst of my confusion, I had two choices, right? I could, number one, publicly question why she would buy a guy who doesn't shoot guns a shotgun, which would have hurt her feelings, or number two, go all in on making her think this was the greatest gift of all time. And y'all, what I did next was one of the worst decisions I've ever made. I decided to go all in on faking my excitement for this gift. I gave her a huge hug. I told her how excited I was, but it didn't end there. I started walking around outside this restaurant pumping the shotgun. I was pointing it at things. I was like toy soldiering this gun. I was trying really hard to prove that I liked this gift. And I think I did a pretty good job. I think she bought it. I knew though that I had done too good of a job with my fake excitement when the mass groups of people that were on the streets at the time started to to retreat. They started to go in the other stores and the other restaurants. And suddenly five cops surrounded me with drawn pistols yelling, drop your weapon. Everyone in our group leaves. They left me hanging while I got thrown up against a wall and searched from head to toe. And with my face pressed against the brick wall, and handcuffs around my back, I thought, this was a terrible decision. True story. Life is all about decision-making, isn't it? You know, think about it. Your life is the result of past and present decisions. All of our decisions affect us in some way. Some decisions benefit us. You know, uh, your decision to be listening to this podcast, it hopefully will benefit you. Some decisions embarrass us, like leaving a position empty on your fantasy roster only to lose by less than, less than the amount of points that, that that guy scored. Some decisions scar us, you know, picking that girl or that guy despite the relational red flags. All of our decisions affect us. And because of that reality, decision making can be really hard. One reason it's hard is because we never make decisions apart from our emotions or our appetites. It's why it's easier to tell your friend what to do than knowing what you should do. Does that ever happen to you? You know, when your friends ask you what you should do, you sound like Confucius instantly rattling off wisdom. Yet when you are at a restaurant, you keep staring at the same menu for 20 minutes and ask the waiter to go last. Decision making is hard. 
Not only are our dis- uh, emotions involved, but there are so many options. I wanted to buy my wife an inflatable stand-up paddleboard for Christmas. So I did the same thing that everyone does, right? I went to Amazon. I typed in paddleboard. And I kid you not, 594 options showed up. They all got relatively good reviews. I have no idea what makes a good paddleboard from a bad one. The amount of options was overwhelming. It it was crippling. It took me five days to actually decide on one. And I still don't know if it was a good choice. Do you guys, do you feel that ever when you're making decisions? We all have situations in life where we don't know what to do and we become paralyzed. The problem is it doesn't stop. We never get to a point in life where we no longer have to make decisions. In fact, scientists say that each person makes 35,000 decisions every day. Not all of them are major, right? Should I wear the red shirt or the blue shirt? Is this a camera on, mute off type of a Zoom or a camera off, mute on type of Zoom? But some decisions you make truly are life-altering decisions. Should I date him? Should I change my major? What job should I pursue when I graduate? And to top it all off, when you throw God into the mix, it feels weightier and even more complicated. Have you ever wondered how many of your decisions God cares about? And if God does care, how can we make sure our decisions are in line with God's will for our life? On that note, what is God's will? Can we know it? Does God hold us responsible for the decisions we make? Decision-making can make us feel a lot of uncertainty, anxiety, and pressure. Can we all agree on that? I don't know about you, but did you ever play with a a magic eight ball growing up? You know, you ask it a a yes or no question, you shake it up, and then it shows you the answer. The magic eight ball, it was invented in the 1940s, and yet there are over a million magic eight balls sold every year still today. What, What does that prove? It proves that we just want someone or something to tell us what to do. Maybe for you, maybe you're listening and there's a pressing decision that you are needing to make soon, like really soon. And you're hoping that that somehow uh, this content will give you the answers that you need. If you feel any stress when it comes to making decisions, listen on. You're in the right place. You're going to be able to hopefully, here's my goal, you're going to be able to walk away with an ability to make better decisions. And I promise you it'll be more helpful than a magic eight ball or flipping a coin couple questions I want you to think about before we jump in. What do you hope to learn from our time together today? And what is a decision you're currently facing or will be facing and don't know what to do? Give, some, give that some thought for just a second. Here are the objectives we're going to cover. What is God's will? Principles for decision-making. And lastly, a guide to making great decisions. Y'all, here's why what we're covering is so important. Here's why. Your decisions determine your destiny. I want you to think about that for a second. Your decisions determine your destiny. Knowing God's will for your life will help you make more confident decisions and live with fewer regrets. Okay, so let's jump in here. So the the first thing we're going to tackle is what is God's will? The Bible says this. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. The opposite of being foolish is understanding God's will. 
If the Bible tells us to understand the Lord's will, then it must be something that we can know. To understand God's will, you need to know that there are actually two parts to the will of God. The first part we'll call the private will of God. The private will of God means that there are some things that only God knows. Why were you born in the U.S. and not another country? Why do you have the parents you have? Why do you look like you look? Why do you have the personality that you have? All of these questions can be traced back to God's private will. These things are true because they are God's will for you. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God. There are some things that we don't have the answers to. Even if we don't understand why it may have happened, it's still God's will. If it occurred, it was God's will. And I know right off the bat, that raises a lot of questions that we don't have time to dive into. Everything that has happened, everything that has come to pass, good and bad, it's all part of God's will. It's his private will. Does God desire suffering and hardship and terrible things to happen? No. But does God sometimes have to use hard situations to get our attention? Yes. Let me give you an example. What was the greatest event of all time? It was the crucifixion and death of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ died the death we deserve to give us eternal life that we didn't earn. And through Jesus Christ, if you are a Christ follower, you have experienced the forgiveness of sins and the hope of heaven. It's the greatest event of all time. What was the worst event of all time? It's the crucifixion and death of Jesus Christ. The single most horrible act of injustice of all time was taking a sinless, perfect man and making him die the worst kind of death on a cross. The forgiveness of our sins and the injustice done to Jesus, they were both God's will. Here's what this means for us. It means that it is God's will to allow some things to happen that God hates. And if that seems a little confusing or it doesn't quite add up in your mind, it's okay. That's why it's the private will of God. You don't have to understand everything God does. That's why the secret things belong to the Lord. Our response to the private will of God is to trust it. Uh, my, my wife and I, we have three kids. Our two oldest kids uh, are girls. And when we were trying to have a third kid, I prayed and begged God to have a little boy. You know, I'm like, God, I'm already drowning in estrogen. If it is your good, pleasing will, will you please give me a boy? We have three little girls and they're amazing. Uh, I, I don't know why God chose to give me three girls instead of, you know, two girls and a boy or one boy or two boys and a girl or all three boys. I don't know why. Why is God entrusting three little girls to me? I have no idea. It's his private will. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. My job is to trust it. Our response every time is to trust the private will of God, even if we don't understand why. Okay, the first will of God is his private will. That's how most of us think of God's will, right? That God is playing keep away, that he's not going to share what his will is with anyone else, that it's some type of buried treasure you have to find somehow. Well, that's only part of God's will. The second will we will call the public will of God. God wants us to know his will, his purpose, how to live, how to make decisions. 
Yes, some things are secret and belong only to God, but God also reveals much of his will. This says a lot about the character of God. He loves you. He loves me enough to give us some tracks to run on. And the way that God has made his will public is through the Bible. God's public will is definitively found only in the Bible. Let's pick up Deuteronomy 29, 29 further. The beginning, again, it says the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever. God has made it public. Why? That we may follow all the words of his law. God's public will in the Bible is meant to direct and to protect. Do this, don't do that. Marry this type of person, not that type of person. Speak this way, not that way. God's public will. It makes many things black and white, so we don't have to guess. In fact, all of the commands in the Bible since the time of Jesus are God's will for you. You don't have to wonder if it's meant for you or not. It is. God, God told us to do it. And here's the thing with God's public will. You don't even have to pray about these things. Should I forgive my roommate? Yes. Should I cheat in school? No. Should I drink underage? Should I hook up with him or her? I just backed into a car and the damage isn't really that bad. Should I leave a note or should I just drive off? Should I get guac in my bowl to go and pretend like there's, it's their fault that they didn't know it was there and they don't charge me? You know, it gets trickier, right? But God's public will, we don't have to interpret it. God has taken the guesswork out for us. And as far as we're concerned, the will of God is found in the word of God. I'll say that again. The will of God is found in the word of God. Our response to God's public will is to obey it. The, God's private will, we need to trust it. But our response to God's public will, what's in the scriptures, is to obey it. We don't choose what we think we should do. We go with what God has already said. And I'll say this, many times when we don't know what to do in a given situation, most often we don't really need guidance. We need obedience. Most oftentimes God has already told us what to do. The issue isn't wanting more or needing more guidance. It's choosing to obey what God has said. Well, hopefully that provides some clarity. Some things are secret and belong to the Lord. That's God's private will. Many things he's already clearly shown us. That's God's public will. I want you to think about this question just for a second. How does knowing that there are two wills help you understand God's will better? God has a private will and a public will. But how do you make decisions when it's not necessarily a right or wrong decision? You know, should I get my master's after college or just start working? Uh, should I marry him? Should I marry her? Do I take this job? Do I take that job? What do I do this summer? Do I go to this school or that school? Do I join this organization or that organization? We're forced to make these types of decisions all the time. And the problem is you can't open up the Bible and have it tell you plainly and directly what to do. So how in the world do you decide? What do you do when it's not clear on what to do? I want to give you, I'm going to start just by giving you a few basic principles for God's will and decision-making. Okay. And the first is this first decision-making principle is you don't have to look for a sign. Have you ever looked for a sign from God before? 
You know, God, if, if a shooting star comes in the next 30 seconds, I know you want me to ask her out. Or God, if the light turns green in the next five seconds, I know you'll never want me to skip class again. Have you overanalyzed anything before to try and find a sign? You know, maybe you have a big decision you're trying to make and you're reading your fortune cookie like it's from God himself. You know, it says you will be extremely successful in business. And you're like, okay, that's it. I'm switching majors. You know, it's God's will. There it is. Uh, maybe it's song lyrics. You know, you need to know what to do in a relationship. You throw on some T-Swift, some Ed Sheeran for relationship advice. Uh, have any, any of you ever flipped a coin to make a big decision? True story, my wife Haley, during rush week, she couldn't decide between Tridelt and PiFi, so she pulled out a coin. Heads, Tridelt, tails, PiFi. She flipped it, it landed on tails. She joined PiFi, no lie, that's how she decided. The Bible won't tell you whether to go get your master's or to take a job when you graduate, but you also don't have to go searching for a sign from God. You know, something I hear all the time is, well, I, 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 I just feel like I should, or it just felt right that I, you know, we think our emotions are a sign from God. And we think if we feel a certain way, it must mean that it's right. Can you trust your feelings? No. In fact, the Bible says the heart, which is the source of our emotions, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Now, it doesn't mean you have to ignore all of your emotions when making decisions, but just know that your emotions are not a reliable source of truth. You have the ability to talk yourself into anything. You know, you are your own best salesperson. Be skeptical of your own emotions. You don't have to wait to hear God audibly speak to you. In fact, I've never heard the audible voice of God. I don't know anyone who has. Could God speak to you if it pleased him? Yes. Could God give you a sign if it pleased him? Yes. Do you need to look for these or find confirmation in these? No, because that's not how God normally operates. The Bible tells us to be wise, not to be mystical. We aren't supposed to look for signs to give us direction. Okay, that's the first principle of decision-making. The second is this. Number two, you won't be held accountable for decisions where the Bible isn't explicitly clear. The most common phrase I hear from college students when it comes to decision-making is, I just want to make the right decision. And, and I think it's really difficult. Uh, it's a really difficult way to approach decision-making. Here's why. When you're wanting to make the quote-unquote right decision, it assumes that there is also a wrong decision. And the notion that there is one right decision out there and a sea of wrong decisions, that, that thinking, that mindset, it's really paralyzing. Now, where the Bible is explicitly clear, that is the right decision for you. And yes, all other decisions are wrong. For example, the Bible commands us to flee sexual immorality in 1 Corinthians 6. So if you or I indulge in sexual immorality, that would be a wrong decision. If you choose grad school over taking a job and you later realize you should have taken a job instead of grad school, is God going to punish you? No. Why? Because the Bible isn't explicitly clear on what decision you should make. 
About a year after I got married, Haley and I were deciding if we should buy a house or uh, keep renting. And so we were renting a duplex at the time. It was 500 square feet. No lie, we could vacuum the entire place using the same electrical outlet. I was wanting some more room and we had a small down payment saved and were able to afford the monthly payment on the house. But we also could keep living in the duplex and save more money for a down payment later. Both seemed like a, an, an appropriate financial decision. They both had hints of, of wisdom on either side. And I just I kept saying this thing that we all say, I just want to make the what? Right decision. We ended up buying the house. Two years after buying the house, we moved and we sold it. And financially, we ended up breaking even. We didn't make any money when we sold it. We didn't lose any money. In hindsight, though, I would have waited and bought a house later. You know, there were so many unforeseen costs and repairs we had to pay for as homeowners that we didn't have to pay for when we were renters. Uh, but God did not, and he will not, hold me accountable because the Bible isn't explicitly clear on that decision. Some decisions are right or wrong decisions. The Bible states it plainly, and there are consequences when we disobey. Most decisions, though, are right or left decisions. And what I mean by that is right or left means there's a fork in the road, and either path seems like a good decision. In a second, we're going to look at how you make decisions in these moments, but you need to know that God isn't going to punish you or hold you accountable in these situations. So I'm here to tell you, relax. It's okay. Deep breath. Hopefully that is good news to you. Okay, number three, the third principle of decision-making is that you are given freedom to choose. You are given freedom to choose. We're all created in God's image. God has ultimate freedom and has given us some freedom to choose. God's given us a conscience and we have a sense of right and wrong. Why would God give us freedom if some of our free choices will lead to bad things happening? Uh, here's why. Um, my oldest daughter, uh, her name is Peyton, and Peyton is seven years old. Now she's a lot of fun. Uh, she's also extremely strong-willed. Uh, when Peyton was a newborn, we didn't give her any decisions on anything. You know, we told her when to sleep. We told her what to eat. We told her what to wear. Uh, but Peyton is seven now. She's in first grade. And we're letting her make more and more decisions. You know, hey, what, which park do you want to go to? What book do you want to read before, before bed? What kind of donut do you want? Uh, and one day we were going to the park and it was cold. It was probably in the 40s. And we asked Peyton what she wanted to wear. She said, I want to wear a skirt. All my girls love wearing skirts. And we told her, we're like, hey, if you wear this skirt, you're going to get cold. So do you want to wear pants? And she said no. So we went to the park, 40 degrees outside. She's wearing a skirt. You know, all the other parents are looking at us like we're terrible. You know, they're like, you know, calling child protective services on us. And uh, we didn't last very long as a family. I think we lasted like a couple of minutes. Why? Because she got cold, obviously. Even though we knew exactly what was going to happen, we let her choose. You know, sometimes Peyton has to do wrong to learn. One thing we've learned as a parent 
is that to develop a child, you don't give every answer and make every decision. We mature as people through the decisions we make. Does God allow you to make decisions even if they aren't the best decision for you? Yes. Why? Why would God do that? It's meant to develop you and mature you. One last question for you to ponder before we enter the last portion of our content. How do you typically make decisions when the right decision isn't clear? Well, lastly here, I want to give you a decision-making guide, okay? And this is a template you can use to help you make great decisions even when it's not black and white, okay? Four points, it's gonna spell out the acronym HELP, why? Because we all need help to make good decisions. You know, maybe it's cheesy, but hopefully it's memorable, if nothing else. Okay, so the, the first step, help. Number one, heed the Bible's direction. Heed the Bible's direction. We're not going to spend much time on this because we've already talked about it. But step one, you need to see what the Bible has to say about the decision you're facing. It might be a black and white decision, and you'll get the exact answer that you need. At the very least, there will be some principles that you can take away that will help you as you're processing this decision you're making. Number two, examine great questions. Examine great questions. I want to give you one key question that fleshes itself out into a few different questions that you need to make when you are making, when you need to ask when you're making decisions. And honestly, like I, I just wanna pause for a second here. Honestly, if you take away anything practical uh, from our time together today, it needs to be this question. When making decisions, you need to ask, what's the wisest thing to do? What's the wisest to do. Let me get a little bit more specific. You need to ask these follow-up questions related to this broad question. Okay, what's the wisest thing to do? Here's the three follow-up questions to this main question. Number one, in light of your past experience, what's the wise thing to do? Some of you have bounced around from relationship to relationship from most of high school, maybe most of or all of college, or maybe you just got out of a relationship. And for you, based on past experiences, the wisest thing could be for you to take a break from, from dating for a while. How long? I, I don't know. But asking what the wisest thing to do is a way better question than should I? You know, should I leads you to think in terms of what is legal or what is allowable. Asking if it's wise changes how you answer and how you approach the, the, the answer. It's legal to be in a relationship, right? It's allowable for you to go and be in another relationship. It just may not be wise. The second uh, kind of follow-up question to our main question, number two, in light of your current circumstances, what's the wise thing to do? In light of your current circumstances, what's the wise thing to do? Look at this upcoming semester. Is there anything unique about this upcoming semester that should or will shape your decisions? You know, if money is tight in your family right now, it's not wisest for you to spend a thousand bucks going to Cabo for spring break. If you're taking 18 hours or maybe if you're working part-time, it's probably not wise for you to join another on-campus organization. In light of your current circumstances, what's the wise thing to do? And number three, kind of this third follow-up question to our main question, in light of your future hopes and dreams, what's the wise thing to do? If you want to become a godly man or woman, 
If you wanna impact other people, what can you choose to do now to help that become true of you later on? What legacy do you want to leave? What story do you want to tell? What story do you want other people to tell about you? In light of your future hopes and dreams, what's the wisest thing to do? Because it will determine the decisions you need to make today. If your dream is to make a 4.0 in the spring, then you probably don't need to buy the PS5 because it's going to steal all of your time. Okay? What's the wisest thing to do in light of your past experience, in light of your current circumstances, in light of your future hopes and dreams? What's the wise thing to do? Much better question. Okay, so we have our first two points. Number one, heed the Bible's direction. Number two, examine great questions. We just looked at those. Thirdly, you need to learn from wiser people. That's the L. Learn from wiser people than you. Uh, notice that this point doesn't just say learn from other people. You need to learn from a specific type of person. And that person should be wiser than you. You need to ask wiser people than you because your emotions cloud your judgment. We looked at how our emotions are not a reliable source of truth. Anything with strong emotional appeal should trigger a red flag, not a green light. You need to stop and get your bearings by calling someone who is wiser than you. Proverbs 15, 22 says, Plans fail for a lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. Because we can't trust our feelings, we need to lean on people that have successfully walked in our shoes before. Make sure you're asking the right people. You don't want to ask your roommate who's already on her third boyfriend of the semester for relationship advice. A couple of years after we got married, Haley and I knew we needed a trusted group of people to help us make big decisions. And so we formed a board of directors for our life. Um, many companies uh, and organizations, they have a board of directors. They, they kind of guide uh, the, the company into making good, sound decisions. We knew we needed that for our lives. So we formed this board. And over the last 10 years, whenever we've had a big decision, we run it by the board. When should we start a family? Uh, should we have a second kid? Should we have a third kid? Now the question for us, should we have a fourth kid? Should we buy this house? Should we make that investment? Should we move to that city or should we stay here? And you know what? It's been invaluable for us. It has helped take away the emotions out of making big decisions. Learn from wiser people than you. And lastly, number four, the P is pray for guidance. James 1.5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. God wants to lead you and show you what is best, even when it isn't plainly stated in the scriptures. Do this, press pause and take 10 seconds on your own and circle which point from this decision-making guide you need to implement most after listening to this. I'll close with this. What story do you want to tell one day? What story do you want to tell one day? Jonathan Edwards was a pastor in Connecticut in the early 1700s. Smart dude. He attended Yale at age 13. He later became the president of Princeton. 
He's best remembered, though, for bringing about spiritual revival in America called the Great Awakening. You may remember that from history class. The Great Awakening. Jonathan Edwards was probably the most key person to bring about that in the early 1700s. Although he's remembered for his intellect and his accomplishments, Jonathan Edwards was a godly man. He lived by a list of 70 resolutions, is what he called them. He wrote out 70 statements, and he, re he reviewed them weekly. And really what they are, they're 70 decisions that shaped Jonathan Edwards' life. I want to read a few, uh, a few to you. Uh, one says, Resolved never to do anything which I should be afraid to do if it were the last hour of my life. Another one, resolved never to do anything out of revenge. Uh, one more example, resolved till I die to act as if I were in any way my own, but entirely and altogether God's. 70 resolutions, 70 decisions. Some may call that overkill. I call it inspiring because these decisions shaped who Jonathan Edwards was and the legacy that he left. It shaped the story that is told about him. Your decisions determine the story you tell. Your decisions determine your destiny. And here's what's true of all of us. We want to tell our entire story without skipping any chapters or having to lie about the details. You write your story one decision at a time. So let's choose a story worth telling. Y'all, thanks for listening. You can find all of the other breakout sessions on Apple and Spotify at SMC 2021.